Dear God, we pretend like we know what you're about, what you're up to, what you're like, and the truth is we have very little clue. You are a mystery. And you've even communicated to us through the prophet Isaiah that your ways are not our ways. Your thoughts aren't our thoughts. And so we really struggle. But there's something in us that propels us to try to reach out and, and connect with you in some way. And so we pray you would honor this urge within us that you probably put there anyway to get to know you and to live with you in process with you. And so, God, we ask that you would infuse these few moments that we have here, that you, in that mystical way that you do, make yourself known to each of us in whatever language we understand, in whatever connection we have. And, and that we would connect with you in this place. We state that it is our desire to try to follow you, to, to please you, to live the way you want us to live. And so we ask for your great help in this project, as it's in the name of Jesus that we pray. Amen. So, as Linda shared, these are unusual readings for a Sunday before Advent. And two things I would like to say uh, to begin is first I want to apologize for the heavy, masculine, male-dominated, patriarchal language in these readings. I looked and tried to find a way to balance them with the more feminine that we very much believe in. And it's just so infused in these readings, there's no easy way to do that. But I want you to know in this place, we believe that the God we come here to worship is beyond male and female. And we want to honor both genders in this place and that uh, the historic male-dominated God image that pervades so much of religion, we just find wanting here. And we know that this being is, is beyond maleness and femaleness, and we struggle with language to communicate that. And this morning, we didn't do a good job in trying to do that. And so I apologize for that. And I ask that you, you just give space for what we are trying to communicate, given that. And the other, as Linda shared, this is, seems more the, particularly the gospel reading, is a reading for Good Friday than, than November. And I want you to know these are the readings from the lectionary that we follow that our faith leaders have determined are good things for us to consider each of these Sundays. And here is the logic behind the selection for these readings, or at least what I assume is the logic. Historically, this Sunday, the last Sunday of the church year before Advent, which begins a new church year, has been called the Feast of Christ the King. And it was a celebration that Christ was the ruler or the leader of uh, the spiritual life. And the, and the text given to us from the gospel is somewhat crazy. 
because Christ is declared the king, but what kind of a king is murdered like a criminal with no power to even save himself? I mean, who wants to follow that kind of a king? Or, I mean, normally if you're looking for a king, you want somebody with a lot of power that's going to win and get your team to win so that you get a lot of the spoils and a lot of the goods. Who wants to follow a loser king? Or a vanquished king? Or an impotent king? Who wants that? Nobody. And yet that is the king that is given to us in this gospel reading. It's a king that died a powerless death, brutally, at the hands of, of really mean folks. And it was somewhere in the third or fourth century that the empire hijacked this experience of Christianity and merged it with empire to make power the big deal. But it seems the Jesus that we're trying to follow in this place wasn't all that keen on having a lot of power. Or it was a lot different kind of power than we all are used to. It's a way different kind of power. And so there is Jesus hanging on the cross and everybody's making fun of him. If you're a king, save yourself. If you're a king, win. You can't even, you can't even save yourself, let alone anybody else. And there's a guy hanging next to him, uh, hurling insults as well. And then there's another guy hanging there and says, look, I, I don't understand you. You're really different. But there's something about you that attracts me. And even hanging here on a cross, whenever it is you come in to whatever it is you're going to come in to, would you bring me with you? And Jesus looks at him and says, today, you're going to be with me in paradise. It's a king a ruler, a leader, a potentate, a sovereign, we don't understand. It's so different that it's hard for us to get our head around. And yet that's the one we have. And in this place we declare it's the one we're trying to follow, this Jesus. Now, in the first reading that Linda read from Paul's letter to the Colossians, Paul is making the great case that this Jesus did in fact, by even being crucified, was incredibly victorious and did wonderful things. And one of the most important things that Paul highlights in this text, this passage for us from Colossians, he says Jesus is the in image of this invisible God that we really don't have a clue about. So God is beyond gender, is invisible, but is, and the best picture, in fact, the, the, the word that Paul uses in, because he wrote in Greek, the Greek word he uses is icon. So like on your computer desktop, you have all those little icons that give you an image of what the program's about. He's saying Jesus is the icon of this invisible God. A great icon. Of, and that one of the major roles and functions, it seems, when one looks at the Christian scriptures is that Jesus, one of his primary tasks was to make this invisible God that we don't understand visible. And so we look at how did Jesus behave? What did he do when he met folks? How did he treat them in an effort to make the invisible God visible? Because 
the, the people of Jesus' time had strong ideas about God being all-powerful, being a Jewish God. Let's get rid of these stinking Romans. Let's drive them back to Italy. Let's take back over. We want a victor. And that's not who Jesus was or was about. But how did he behave? What did he do? What was he like to give us a picture of what this invisible God is like? And I'm going to suggest to you that as a church, now this is, I'm just thinking out loud, I'm blue sky in here. But what if our purpose as followers of this Jesus is to continue in this work to make the invisible God visible? I'm just thinking out loud here. But, but, but what if we, and Paul uses the language in this text, that we are now the body of Christ so that Jesus' physical body is no longer here, but we are the body. Not, and it's not that Fred is the body or Becky is the body or Judy is the... We together are the body. And that this is even going to be more radical to you. But the same animating, life-giving spirit that was in the body of Jesus motivating him, inspiring him, empowering him to make the invisible God visible, that spirit is with us. Jesus said, unless I go away, you won't have the spirit. And on the day of Pentecost, the spirit came upon the gathered community to infuse and inspire them to help make the invisible God visible. I think that's much of what this whole church project is about. How can we make the invisible God visible? And in our particular denomination, we have what some people call a charism or a grace. That's what the word means. It comes from the Greek word for grace. To make the invisible God. We make the invisible God visible, or we're trying to, in a very particular way. How does God feel about LGBTQ people or same-sex relationships? We try to make the invisible God visible in a way that says, the God is, we understand this God loves you and welcomes you in this place, just as you are. We try to make God visible in the way we deal with the resources of this planet, being very mindful of what we use and how we use it, and trying to be equitable in sharing that. We try to make the invisible God visible by how we deal with racial issues, that for us, the invisible God doesn't prefer one color of skin to another, one language to another, one gender to another, one group or subgroup to another. We try to make the invisible God visible in sharing of food and resources so that some peoples aren't left out. In fact, the history of our denomination, the United Church of Christ, is at the forefront of all of these issues and particularly even the issue of the rights of the indigenous peoples that were here before us that our for parents stole from them, our denomination has really worked 
to right that wrong as best we can now. And, and so these are the efforts, the charism of our particular group of trying to make the invisible God visible, which I'm suggesting is one of the major purposes of why we gather. And it's going to be a major theme of, of what we share through Advent and into the beginning of the year. How can we, as a group of 100, 150, whatever we are, help make the invisible God visible in Ashland, Oregon, in 2022 and 2023? How can we do that? Relying on the same life-giving, animating spirit that was in Jesus to lead us and to guide us so that we can do this good work. Well, as it turns out, an opportunity has come to us <laughs> to help make the invisible God visible. Uh, a couple of months ago, when I was considering applying for this position, there was an article in the local paper about how one of our residents, and I'm going to use this word advisedly, a wonderful resident of our community, Shirley Patton, who goes to the Presbyterian Church, wonderful actress from the Shakespeare Festival. If you've ever gotten to meet or know her, she is an incredible human being that I dare call a friend. She was living in a big house by herself. Her husband, Bill, who fabulous man in his own right, died a number of years ago. She was living in this big house by herself, and she heard of you some Ukrainian refugees that needed a place to live. And our sister and brother and sibling Presbyterians joined with Shirley to move some Ukrainian refugees into her house. And my wife Nancy saw this in the paper and said, is your church doing anything like that? Have you thought about that? And I, because I'm a good guy, listened to my wife. I filed that away. And then a couple of weeks ago, Karen McClintock dared come up into this pulpit and address us again about the need of Ukrainian refugees living right here in our community. And so when I was negotiating with the council about possibly becoming, becoming pastor, Linda and the folks took me over to the house across over there, the Morton Street house, and showed me where the pastor's office was. And that's basically all that was in there at that point was the pastor's office. And I said, well, this seems kind of silly to have a whole house for just the pastor's office. And Linda said, well, we have space downstairs in the basement over in the other building. We could possibly use that. And so she employed Sherry Morgan and some other folks, and they made a spectacularly beautiful office for me downstairs. And we decided, well, we could turn the Morton house. We could, we could rent it out and make some money because we always need money around here for all the good things that we're trying to do, the Good Samaritan Fund and all fund, the Ashland Food Bank and all the things, projects we're trying to do, we could have another income stream to help with the good work that we're trying to do here. And so that was the idea until my wife Nancy showed me that article and Karen McClintock got up here and preached at us. And, and then I called Linda and said, you know, what about if we didn't try to cash in on that house next door? And we offered it to some Ukrainian refugees. What would that be like? Would that be a way that we could help make the invisible God visible here and now? Now I look, there's all kinds of needs. There's millions of people that have 
so helping one family, well, it, it's something. And when I look at Jesus, Jesus, see God, this is the, one of the crazy things about this being we call God. God didn't just eradicate all pain and suffering because God is all powerful. God could do, God with a, with a wave of the hand could wipe out racism or starvation or droughts or whatever. But God doesn't, which drives us crazy because we think, God, you should do that stuff. If I were you, I would. <laughs> but God doesn't. It seems this being we call God is more interested in inviting us to participate in taking care of pain and suffering. And that God's willing to do that if we will participate with this God. And that drives us crazy. Because God could just do it without us. But I think for some reason God just wants to do it with us. And so is this a way to possibly make the invisible God visible here in our town at this time? So if we were going to do something like this, so I've already talked to the council and the council knows all about this and we're sort of thinking this might be a good thing and we met with the folks that host this whole program of helping Ukrainian refugees with the legal visas and getting jobs and language and doctors and all. There's already a group of people helping with all that. What they need is a space and there's a family here in town that needs a space. A mom and a dad and a two-year-old and a nine-year-old. They need a place to live. And we got this house. And so if we're going to do something like this, and the, the, my ask of us this morning is to see it tried to discern together, is this a way we as a community with our history could help make the invisible God visible here and now? And if so, there's some things we're going to need. We're going to need a point person or two to help coordinate all of this. And I don't think this would be a huge task because there's already so many resources helping, but to make sure we're not duplicating or... Ten people doing the same thing over and over to help coordinate. And, and the idea here is we don't want to just flip a family the keys and say, here, have a nice life. We want to be open to them, to be their friends, to provide emotional support while they have their physical things taken care of. That we could be friends and they could help be our friends and teach us how to be more gracious and kind and open. So we're really looking for somebody to say, hey, I, I'd be willing to help coordinate that in conjunction with others. And so if, if that's something you might be interested in, come up and talk to me. Or talk to Linda Anderson, our, our church moderator, and let us know. And then the second ask is if we think this might be a good idea, we could actually meet this family next Sunday after church. We would invite them to come around 11.45 after we've done what we do and had our snacks and then we could meet these people to see what they're like and to see is this something that the same spirit that was in Jesus might be asking of us now. So that's the ask. If you think this might be something we're for, let your ministry teams know, let the church council know, let me know. But we're seriously considering this as a way to follow Jesus 
in making the invisible God visible here and now.